Welcome to the online Bible study. The book of First Peter is one of my favorite books because it is so rich in application for living a godly life. We are going to examine these five chapters in First Peter over a course of 11 weeks. To begin with today, we are going to do like a New Testament survey. We're going to look at the overall theme of 1 Peter, and then we're going to look at who Peter is and who is he writing to. The Apostle Peter wrote this letter to encourage believers who had faced trials and persecution under Emperor Nero. We are going to see three themes, suffering, grace, and glory, and how they unite to form an encouraging message for believers experiencing times of trials and persecution. The message of First Peter applies to us today. As we face those storms in our lives, the trials and the persecution, Peter offers faithful believers comfort and hope. As Christians, we should expect ridicule, rejection, and suffering because of our faith. If we have not suffered for our Christian beliefs, then we need to question our Christian walk, don't we? Because if we are truly walking in the light, then we will face persecution. Now, persecution makes us stronger because it refines our faith. We can face persecution victoriously as Christ did if and only if we rely on him. Now, for today's readers, as well as for Peter's original audience, the theme of this letter is hope. Now, before we begin to look into the book of Peter, we want to see who is Peter? What do we know about him? Let's turn in our scripture to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the, disper of the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So we see here in the very first verse that Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? Okay, now I want to turn over to John, chapter 1, verse 42. We're going to learn a little bit more about who Peter is. In verse 42 of John, it shows us here that his given name was Simon. He was the son of Jonah, but Jesus changed it to the Aramaic name Caiaphas, which means a stone. Now, Peter is the Greek translation of Caiaphas. So, Peter was a man of three names. He was Simon, he was Caiaphas, and he was Peter. Now, sometimes in Scripture, we also see him listed as Simon Peter. Names were very important in those days. Names represented their character. Jesus saw potential in Simon and changed his name to Caiaphas, meaning a stone. 
the Greek shows that Peter means a portion of a rock. Now we know that Christ is the rock, our foundation, right? Well, Peter is a portion of the rock, not the head rock. Let's look over to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So here we see that Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he was a fisherman. You will also see reference to him as a fisherman in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, as well as Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now when you think about a fisherman in those days, you picture a big, burly man. He has rough exterior. He'd be like a teamster for our time of day. The fishermen in those days had to work hard. It's not like they had you know, motors on their boats and fishing poles that they could just reel in some fish. They had to paddle their way out, throw their nets over the side of the boat, and then pull in all of those fish. So they had to be strong. So he was an apostle and he was a fisherman. Now let's look over to Matthew chapter 8, 14. And we see here that Peter was married. It talks about his mother-in-law who was at Peter's home and she was sick. And Jesus came to Peter's house and he healed her. Then, remember back in chapter 4, verse 18, it mentioned that he had a brother. So, not only was he married but he had a brother his name was Andrew and he was a fellow fisherman with him so you can see here that Peter was a family man who worked as a fisherman with his brother and he took care of his mother-in-law who was sick he was just an ordinary man now sometimes we have a tendency of putting people on pedestals and yet in reality they're just ordinary people. John chapter 1 verses 41 to 42 also talks about how Andrew, his brother, had brought him to the Lord. Now Andrew, he loved his brother and wanted him to know the Lord just as we want our family members to know the Lord, don't we? How many times do we witness to our family? Are we like Andrew who sought out his brother and brought him to the Lord? Or do we say nothing in fear of persecution? Andrew was also a follower of Jesus Christ. But you don't really see him in scripture as a leader, do you? He was more of a follower. But Peter became a great leader. You never know. When you bring someone to the Lord, what their ministry will be or how God will even use them. You don't know how God is going to use them, whether in mighty or in small capacities. Now, you don't have to be an evangelist to witness, but maybe someone that you witness to will become one. Acts 4.13, 
shows that Peter was uneducated and untrained. Some say that Peter didn't write the book of 1 Peter because he was uneducated. But we have to remember, in the Greek, uneducated and untrained simply meant that he was a layman without formal schooling. So this is no argument that Peter did not write 1 Peter. We also see in this verse that it also says that Peter was bold. Now Peter was seen frequently as rash, headstrong, he was proud, impulsive, unstable, and often saying the wrong things. But once we get to the book of Acts, we see a different man. There he is seen as a strong saint with a vibrant testimony for Christ, a courageous leader of the early church who stood firm and faithful regardless of the circumstances. God also prepared Peter to minister to the Jews just as Paul was the minister to the Gentiles as we see in Galatians 2, 7-10. through 10. Now Peter is a great example of how God uses us even when we fail. Peter denied Christ three times because he feared persecution. He looked straight at Christ and denied he knew him. This was a very hard trial for Peter. But through this trial, Peter's faith was strengthened and molded into a mighty servant of God. When Peter gives us a message of hope, in the midst of trials and persecution, he speaks from experience. So you can see, God uses ordinary people to accomplish his will. Peter was just a big, burly fisherman, a family man, and look how God used him in such a mighty way. Now we've seen and heard about what kind of man Peter was. Now it shows in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, that Peter wrote 1 Peter in Babylon. Scripture does not tell us which Babylon he is talking about here. There was a Babylon in Euphrates, a Babylon in Egypt, and also Babylon was a code name for Rome. They would use this code to protect the Jews in Rome. So we can't be dogmatic by saying that it was any particular place other than what Scripture tells us, which is, he wrote it in Babylon. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 also shows us who Peter was writing to. Let's look and see how he describes him. Now notice the different translations of how the different ways that they are, are translated. When you look at the King James Version and the NIV, Peter called them strangers, scattered throughout. When you look at the New King James Version, they're called pilgrims of the dispersion. The English Standard Version calls them the elect exiles of the dispersion. And then in the NASB, they are called aliens scattered throughout. So, let's break it down. First, we want to look at how Peter called them strangers. This is very descriptive picture being painted here in verse 1. Believers are only strangers on earth. 
The English word for strangers refers to anyone with whom we are not acquainted. But when you look at the Greek, the word here means far more than that. Let me show you. The Greek word paraepidomos made up of three Greek words. Para, meaning alongside, epi, upon, and demos, used in biblical Greek of the people of a heathen city. The word here describes the recipients of this letter as Christians who have settled down alongside the unsaved. Peter uses the same word in chapter 2, verse 11. He will not let us forget that we are living among the unsaved who are always carefully observing us. Think about that. Think about where you live and all the people around you. We are Christians scattered among the unsaved. The question here would be, what are you doing? What are they observing in your life? Do they see Christ's love shining through you? If they were to follow in your footsteps, would they find Christ at the center of your life? When you think of strangers, you also think of a person who is visiting a place for a while, but is not a permanent resident. Believers are citizens of heaven. Their home is in heaven with God, not on earth. It makes me think about the song we used to sing in church. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We just don't hear songs like that anymore. I really miss them. Ladies, this is significant. It means that where we live on this earth doesn't matter. Whether we have a huge house or a small one, whether we live on the coast or in the desert, no matter where we live, it is not our permanent home. Our home is in heaven. We may suffer great hardship in this life, but the encouraging thing is, is that it is only for a brief time. Remember, this is only temporary. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to keep our eyes and mind focused on the course. Life is short. We need to make sure that every moment counts for eternity, rather than focusing on building earthly treasures that are going to burn up. You can be in the world, but not of the world, as John seventeen sixteen says. It says they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we have seen these strangers. Next, Peter said that they were scattered. Diaspora. They were scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Now one commentator said that they were sprinkled like salt throughout five of Asia Minor's Roman providences. Now this is what we call modern Turkey today. So that's the area that we are covering here. 
I like the picture there. As Christians, we are the salt of the world. So when you think about it, that we are salt sprinkled throughout. It was a really vivid picture there. The letter was evidently meant to circulate among the churches in this area. Scattered. Disporous had a special meaning to the Jewish Christians in these churches. The Disporus referred to Jews who were separated from their homeland. Peter adapted this word from previously described Israel to emphasize the condition of the early church. Now this word, word Diaspora is found in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Where Moses says of Israel in Deuteronomy 28.5, Thou shalt be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. And this is probably the earliest example of its use as a technical designation of the Jews who, for whatever reason, lived outside of Palestine. The word is used in John chapter 7 verse 35 and James chapter 1 verse 1 in both places referring to those Jews who were living outside of Palestine. The important thing for us to know about these scattered strangers is that they were going through a tough time of suffering and persecution. Peter wrote this letter to encourage them, to remind them that their suffering would lead to glory. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and let's look at verses 6 through 7. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Talking about glory, we also see it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 to 14. It says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. And then lastly, look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. There is suffering leads to glory. This is also a reminder to us. As believers, we have a living hope, don't we? Because we trust in a living Christ. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Ladies, this hope enables us to keep our minds under control and 
hope to the end when Jesus Christ returns. Let's look at verse 13 in chapter 1. It says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We must not be ashamed of our hope, but be ready to explain and defend it. As we see in chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. So, since suffering brings glory, and because Jesus Christ is coming again, we can indeed be hopeful. Peter also emphasizes God's grace in this letter. Grace is God's generous favor to undeserving sinners and needy saints. You will see the word grace is used throughout 1 Peter. We see it in chapter 1, verses 2, 10, and 13. We see it in chapter 3, verse 7, chapter 4, verse 10, and then three times in chapter 5, verses 5, 10, and 12. Grace is a big part of First Peter. And then we see in chapter 5, verse 12, it says, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. He is telling us, ladies, to stand fast in the grace of God. When we depend on God's grace, we can endure suffering and turn trials into triumphs. It is grace alone that saves us, right? As we see in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. God's grace can give us strength in times of trials, as we see in 2 Corinthians 12. Grace enables us to serve God in spite of our difficulties, as we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Whatever begins with God's grace will always lead to glory. As we study 1 Peter, we will see how these three themes of suffering, grace, and glory unite to form an encouraging message for believers experiencing times of trial and persecution. This confident hope gives us the encouragement and enablement we need for daily living. 1 Peter 5 verse 10 says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory of Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. It doesn't put us into a rocking chair where we are complacent, waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, does it? No, instead, it puts us into the marketplace, on the battlefield, where we keep on going when the burdens are heavy and the battles are hard. Ladies, every follower of Jesus Christ can live every moment of every day with hope if they remember three important facts. Number one, life on earth is temporary. Our home, remember, is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. 
Peter reminds us over and over again throughout 1 Peter that we are strangers in this world, that this life is not all that there is. When you really concentrate on the fact that this is just temporal, it helps to endure whatever may come your way in this life. Second, God uses adversity in this life to strengthen our faith. Peter reminds us that we will suffer grief in all kinds of trials as we see in chapter 1 verse 6. Yet we can still have hope because God never wastes a hurt. He uses them to strengthen us and that we can in turn help someone else that is going through that same trial. Have you been able to look at somebody and say, I've been there. I've gone through that. It's going to be okay. God allows us to go through trials that will one day maybe even help somebody else that's going through another trial. can do nothing but strengthen us. Builds us closer and closer to our Lord and Savior. Peter encourages us to stand firm even through adversity, that God would be glorified through our lives. And then third, you hear me say this a lot, the end of all things is near. Ladies, we are living in the end times, which should make us want to live every day for Christ, making every moment count for eternity. These truths that Peter reminds us of throughout First Peter should act as a powerful source of hope every day of your life. Like an anchor, our hope in Christ stabilizes us in the storms of life. When you focus on Christ, we can overcome and God will transform suffering into glory. Ladies, the book of 1 Peter is a wonderful book that's going to help us in our daily living every day. And I'll look forward to doing this study with you. Next week, we will be studying Chapter 2 in Warren Wearsby's book, which covers 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-12. through 12. Until then, God bless.